music, news, interviews, live events, and more. Welcome to the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. Hey, it's Matt Pinfield, and this is the Hivecast. In today, I've got DJ remixer extraordinaire and does a bunch of really cool things, but Tommy Sunshine is joining me. Tommy, I'm really happy that you're living in Brooklyn now because it was a hop, skip, and a jump for you to get over here. Yeah, you know? I mean, you know, it's it, it's uh, you know the commute is always interesting to get here. I mean, Times Square is nuts, so it's like- it really is. I mean, it's funny, you know, when I had an office, um, you know, by the radio station down there at Houston and Hudson, I preferred that neighborhood, and not to disrespect Times Square, and you know, but you know, it's crazy. There's never a time when there's not you're not tripping over tourists. No, it's so, three in the morning. It's nuts here. It really is. No matter what, but uh, hey. We got the studio, so that's the good thing, and, and you're here. To, and I, I wanted, to, Tommy, you grew up in, uh, you know, about thirty minutes outside of Chicago, right? That's where you were, and yeah, you know, you were in a musical household because you were you the youngest. Like, I mean, you had some brothers and sisters that were in all, all different kinds of music. I was really lucky. I mean, my oldest sister graduated high school in 1976, so she was like a disco fan, right? Big time. Like, I mean, you know, <laughs> she used to go out like five, six nights a week. And while she was, you know, playing Casablanca 12 inches, putting on makeup, I was, you know, little peanut, like, dancing next to her while she was getting ready to go out every night. Yeah. Absorbing all of that music. And then my other sister, who graduated a year later, was more of a rock and roller. She started playing guitar at nine. She had her own band, you know, but she was very much into, like, Neil Young and Zeppelin and Bad Company and like you know real like kind of heavier kind of rock in the seventies because she was graduating in seventy seven she her you know formidable years were like you know like seventy one seventy so when the singer songwriter and all the hard rock stuff that was going on at the time right it was amazing and then she went off to college and that changed everything. As it always does. Did she get into like punk rock then or new wave? New stuff? wave. Yeah. I mean, and she came back from college with like Blondie and Soft Cell and like, you know, like all that kind of. Well, I guess that would, no, that was actually more my brother. I think she actually waited a couple of years to go to college. So it would have been more towards 80. Yeah. And that was like, but th- that was definitely Blondie, Talking Heads. Yeah. You know, Devo. Devo, the cars like, had broken through in like the late 70s. Gary Newman. Like, yeah. Really like, you know, and just came back with all of that. And she that, come back with like replicas and Pleasure Principle and all I those. I mean, that's- Those the, records are great. No, I mean, that's the stuff <laughs> yeah. that blew my mind. Yeah. It's like, you know, and then my, then my brother, he graduated in 82. So he was in a punk band. And like, you know, listening to like Dead Kennedys. So you said like hardcore. Sex Pistols and like, but then also like Devo and the B-52s and like stuff like that. And it's like from that kind of moment, if I had to boil down like my entire musical DNA and why I'm into electronic music, it's because of Talking Heads Fear of Music. Which what is a, Brian Eno produced and what steeped a great in album. weird electronics and like just, cities and things like oh that. Oh God, like what like perfect yeah. record and Devo Freedom of Choice. Yeah, which of course is like just crazy synthesizer. Like you know, most of even the drum sounds were there were no drum machines yeah. then, so there was you know done on modulars and just crazy. You know, experimentation. And it's an electronic there. record, but it has great melodies and everything else. Oh, in yeah. It too. You know what I'm trying to say? For that period of time, 
Those songs, like that's why when Soundgarden covered "Girl You Want," they could slow it down and oh, and they did it, it so out, good too. You know, but I love <laughs> there was so much great electronic music. Um, you know, even back then, you know, there's so much great stuff now. But back back then, that was like really where it was starting to happen, and people were going out to clubs and listening to Blamage and Soft Cell and oh, I got and, it, yeah. you know, and yeah. and so much of it, and then and O-M-D. really and, and the third <laughs> one, the third one really is B fifty twos, B fifty twos, like that that record just still, like I mean, you know, fifty two girls just yeah. is like still like the bee's knees, like that record is just so right on, and it's amazing to me because when. I first moved to New York like 10 years ago when like Electro Clash was happening and, you know, the bars in New York on the Lower East Side were very much in this like weird pocket of like where people were DJing, but no one was mixing. They were just like playing records. And I would play something like 52 Girls or Life During Wartime and people would be like, yo, like what? what's that? Like, kids had no idea what it was. You know what I mean? They thought those were new records. Because at the time, like, you know, that wasn't really that far off from a block party or the Strokes or Or something like that. It was, like, kind of all in that same kind of vein. So, I mean, that's when I realized how much those bands were so heavily influenced by, like, what had come 20 years before. But, I mean, this is what it all is. It's all secular. And, you know, like, yeah. I mean, after seeing this kind of go around so many times, it's it's fascinating how these things kind of creep back in. And it's like, you know, everyone thinks that they're new. And anyone who's been around for half a minute knows that it's just like the return of fill in the blank. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's, things are, like you said, they really are cyclical. And they'll come back around. People will like something from 10, 20 years ago. And they'll do oh, yeah. that whole thing. Being that close to Chicago, you got into house music back then as well. Well, you know, in like '86, '85, right? It was it was a weird cocktail because, like, all at the same time. I mean, I was living this like threefold like schizophrenic upbringing. It was really bizarre because, yes, it was the beginning of house music, but there was also the dance music from the UK, like Manchester. Well, really, it was just it was really all kind of centered in Chicago because we had the roots of house. And I was going to a club called Medusa's, which amazingly enough, and, you know, at some point I'm going to have to bug somebody to dig up this footage. But Dave Kendall came to Medusa's for 120 minutes. Oh, he did. That's great. And and did a whole show from Medusa's. And Medusa's was like Chicago's Danceteria. Yeah, wow. Because the main floor was dance music. The second floor was a live venue. And the third floor was a video room where they showed videos and everyone danced along the walls of and the And you know that's what Danceteria was like when yeah. I was uh, when I was young I used to go to that club and it was the same thing you'd see like a Susie and the Banshees video on the wall yeah and Killing I mean, Joke or something like that and it no, was a uh, gang of four you know it was cool it was um and because videos at the time too were a lot of those videos were only shown on shows like 120 minutes. And even before yeah. that show existed. Yes. No, you know what I mean? It no, was, it's Rock America. It was Rock like America the, was the thing that we watched you know and uh there was also, you know, Night Flight, Night on, Flight on USA. <laughs> Night Flight would show other. weird movies and like and bizarre, <laughs> in, you know, and then they'd show a ton of videos. So when you could find a place that showed them, there was also yeah. a show called Rock World that was syndicated. Oh, was I remember York, that. And you'd see like a lot of new wave videos on there. Yeah, you know? no, you know, I mean, it was fascinating. <laughs> like Thin like, Lizzy, but then like you know the Boomtown Rats and. You know, like other the records and bands like that at that period of time. Well, you know, it's funny, and gosh, we're going off on a thousand tangents here, but like, but I used to love 
actually, when MTV first started, they used to do a show called London Calling, yeah. which was like, I mean, this was like really early. This was like first couple of years it was around, I think. And it was like London Calling, which then morphed into the cutting edge happy hour. Yeah, the IRS morphed, cutting edge happy hour. Which morphed into 120 minutes, really. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like the- That the, was the progression. Yeah, that was the lineage of it. But like, <laughs> kind of going back to Chicago, like- so there was Medusa's where, you know, on the dance floor you were hearing, you know, proper dance floor music. The second floor live venue, I saw Gigi Allen there. I saw Ministry play there. Yeah, Fugazi. I was just, yeah. You know, like, I mean, it I, When you said on. Gigi Allen, did you stay out of the line of fire? I mean, that guy used to like to throw feces at the oh, audience. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I, <laughs> I, I, mean, I saw things that I wish I never saw yeah, in we, my life at those shows. I know. Gigi was unbelievable. I remember <laughs> oh, him walking by me at the Court Tavern in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Nice. And he had a dead rat pinned to his leather jacket. And I mean, it wasn't plastic. It was not. It was a real rat. I mean. That's so Gigi. Somebody like that now, like people would just go into like a full blown panic. They wouldn't even know how to process that. Like yeah. now people think like Gaga is weird. Like that's the ceiling <laughs> yeah, of yeah. weird. Like yeah. that's not, that wasn't the basement of weird oh, yeah. at that point. You I know mean, what I mean? Like, exactly. Gigi <laughs> did so many sick things. I mean, he had people, they were having oral sex on stage and then he's throwing feces around and doing all kinds of other crazy stuff. Yeah, I mean, when you, if you went to a GG show, the best thing to do was to stand as far back against the oh, wall yeah. or in the corner as you could so you could see but not be anywhere near the audience. Anywhere okay. near. But so, so like, that was, you know, that was all going on there. Then you had, at the same time, industrial music was exploding. I mean, yeah. you know, I made a weekly pilgrimage to the Wax Tracks. What a great record store. And... You know, obviously, Ministry being one of the earliest artists on them, then leaving, going to Arista, and then going back, and then going oh, no. again, come, you know? Come on, crazy. But, like, because that was the, like, beating heart of that music, I got to see Nitzareb and Front 242 and Skinny yeah. Puppy and, like, all of those bands. Yeah. Uh, you know, more than I could count. Like, I, mean, I don't even remember how many times I saw the Thrill Kill cult. Like, yeah. Like, probably 20, 30 times. Did you know some of the guys in that band too? Yeah, just from- you remember my friend was in that band. Well, I'm spacing on his name, but he died. He actually. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? He was from Jersey. Yes. He was in Regressive Aid, that band you sang. Yeah. The Ween guys. No. Uh, I- Billy, Billy Tucker. Yes. Billy Tucker was my very good friend. You know, oh, he's wow. coming to my college radio show and just bring up booze. We'd be getting, you know, <laughs> typical college radio show thing. Yes. Um, but, you know, it was crazy. He gotten very ill. They didn't know what it was. And then he took his own life, which was a sad oh, story. Boy. But I loved all that. Nitzareb was great. Oh, Headhunter, Welcome to Paradise. Oh, Remember God. playing those singles? Come on. Um, you know, and you also mentioned Front 2 for 2. Head, uh, Front 2 for 2 was Headhunter and Welcome right. to Paradise. Nitzareb, like, murderous, joining the chant. All Control, those singles. I'm here, Control, like, I'm here. Fun to be had. Yeah, like, fun to be had. Yeah. And, those, and, you know, and it's really funny because, like, that was just so... I mean, as a teenager, that music was like yeah. the most exquisite thing you could ever like want to hear because it was so like anti-establishment and it was so- It was aggressive, like, but it was danceable. aggressive. So, you know, all of that was going on. And then to add an even crazier angle to all of this, I was 
almost every weekend sleeping out for concert tickets. So I would. You like, went to like 500 or 600 shows oh, by that time, yeah, didn't it's, you? It's, compl- it's ludicrous. Like, I mean, I have like rubber banded <laughs> stacks of ticket stubs that you know, just go cr- on for What days. kills me now is, you know, you don't see people camping out for tickets very often. No. But they're camping out to buy the new phone. The phone is their new rock star. No. I don't know, but it's so funny. I was like, but it's a different culture time, and I don't mind that, but I just think it's funny because I would always go, I remember the first time I saw a line for something in technology, and I get it. I totally understand it. People want it, and they love it. But I went, what's that line for? I wonder who's playing. No, no, <laughs> totally. And it's like, but, you know, I would be, I would be sleeping old. out for, like, you know, Guns N' Roses tickets, Kiss. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, I was a metalhead, too. So, I mean, I just was completely steeped in just music, full stop. Like, I didn't see boundaries. I didn't think it was weird to, like, go see Alice Cooper and Guns N' Roses. Yeah. And then from the show, go to Medusa's. That didn't yeah. seem strange to me. Well, I think maybe because of our age, we loved a lot of different things. And that was, as it came along, and, you know, I, I we lived kind of a parallel life. I mean, at least in Jersey, I was, where I was DJing in clubs. You play, I'd play all those front two for two, Nitzer, nice. Ministry, 12 Inches, um, you know, a split second KMFDM, all oh, those bands, God, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, it goes on and on, the list, right? Yep. No, but, I mean, it, it was an amazing time, and I, and I think that that's what taught me to have so much, just not even open-mindedness. I mean, it goes so much farther beyond that because, you know, I just never saw boundaries and again it wasn't just a music thing like i just didn't see the boundaries in culture you know any of those things it's just none of it was and and even the guys that were in those bands and stuff you know you had like revco who were like who put you know in beer steers and queers there's the whole like you know this is our house and our house music from like the original like house music like acapella that everyone uses so like even they were steeped in house music so as heavy as their music was when they were done in the studio they were still going out to nightclubs in chicago and completely steeped in acid house yeah so it's that like, was amazing. Can you imagine? That's another one of those things. Beer steers and queers. That record, you know, yes, which was obviously like just a tongue in cheek. They, you know, there wasn't because. <laughs> but, but Chris Connolly was in the band, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Al was in it for a while. Jorgensen too, wasn't he? Or no? Paul Barker, Paul Barker, you know, yeah. Richard Twenty Three from Front yeah. Two Four Two, Luke yeah. Von Acker. Yeah. Like, I mean, all these guys. Like, were, I mean, that was such a rotating cast. Yeah. Great! What a classic, though. Oh god, it was a it was a really funny. Uh, so you know, I know when they they tour. You know, you mentioned pale, I, you didn't mention Palehead, but I know. You oh pale no, Head. that was the record. Like Palehead was the record that like for it's funny. I did an interview recently with a magazine in Chicago, Five Magazine. They're called, and they're like a house magazine. Yeah, but they w- wanted me to talk about my roots and about Medusas and things like that. And there was a moment, and I'll never forget this. And Actually, somewhere in this building, hopefully, yeah. is this footage. But when Kendall was at Medusa's, they were filming the dance floor. And one of the peak moments of the night was when they would play I Will Refuse. Yeah. So, like, whatever dance music was being played would just get completely disregarded. And then a record, you know, all of a sudden you would hear that dun 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 dun, dun, dun like crazy bass line would thunder in. And all of a sudden, the dance floor, which was a completely perfectly reasonable dance floor, would turn into a pit, and all the skinheads would start to go around in a circle. And you know, 
you, you thought it was like, you know, oh, whatever, this is going to be fun. Like, I'll get in this. It's yeah. going to be a good time. Well, you know, not the best idea because these guys were like, you know, Doc yeah. Martin, you know, like flannel tied around their they waist. They waited like, every night to hear that or don't stand in line or one of those songs and, on that EP. And ready to kick your ass. Like, yeah. I mean, like, and, and I'll never forget this. So right at the moment before it drops, when, you know, when Ian Mackay says, you know, are you effing ready? Like the lights turned on and the cameras started to roll. Well, the only thing worse than like, you know, this at record dropping in its natural habitat was the fact that they were going to record this on film. So, of course, the violence was up. The anti- it was, was ultra violence. Yeah, it was up. As in like clockwork orange. No, totally. <laughs> I mean, like it just upped the ante like unfathomably. So like punches were being thrown. People were flying everywhere. Like, I mean, it became this thing. And I don't think anyone, would, you know, whoever like was filming this didn't expect what was about to happen. But this is all, it's somewhere in the archives. I don't know where it is, but it's it would be a gas to see it because like it was but it was like that every weekend you know what i mean like that was the record and palehead basically being ministry and but with ian minor McKay singing, yeah. yeah and fugazi you know yeah you unbelievable yeah. like really really and actually i think that was in the transition in between minor threat and fugazi i don't yeah. think the first fugazi record i don't think 13 songs wasn't even out yet wow i'm not sure yeah and then, of course, Waiting Room was another one of those oh, songs that, God. that would always pack the dance floor so the, people heard the The $5 shows. They refused yeah. to play for more than $5. Like, you could go see them any, I mean, and, and again, like, how many times I saw Fugazi, I couldn't count, you know what I mean? Yeah. But probably in some total, like, I spent less than $100 seeing them, you know, 18 times. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. <laughs> Think about that. I mean, now people pay $100 to go see, you know, a, an up-and-coming band. I know. It's crazy. It really is. You're listening to The Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. It's The Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. You ended up working at a record store, too, for a while, didn't you? I mean... I worked in a bunch. But, I mean, there was one in particular. I had heard that you had called the guy up and said, if you're going to make a record, do a record store here... Nobody knows more about House of Mean. It was kind of like, and he hired you just on that confidence. Well, yeah, I mean, what's very- You got his pager number or something like that? Yeah, what's very funny about that is I had worked in a bunch of record stores as a kid. Worked at a place called Crow's Nest, like out in the Burbs, and then like worked at a couple other record stores around Chicago. And then when I moved, I moved to Atlanta in 94 to kind of get out of the Midwest. Things were starting to get a little- heavy and you know kind of in the rave scene and everything else like things started getting a little druggy and a little dark druggy yeah. as things do as yeah, scenes it, progress yeah eventually you know it, it's all fun and then all of a sudden it becomes yeah people start insane. like escalating to like things where you're like yeah all right it's, we gotta get the hell out of here yeah. so like me and my two best friends moved to atlanta and i heard rumblings that Satellite Records, which was a very big record store here in New York, was going to open up a store in Atlanta. And they had this promoter picked to be the, the you know, the guy who was going to like run the store. And at that point, 
I wasn't a very good DJ. Like, I don't even think I barely mixed at that point. I was still playing kind of in the second room, playing an eclectic mix of, like, everything we've been talking about. Yeah. But, like, at raves. So, like, you know, really weird kind of presentation of music. And, you know, so I wasn't really taking DJing, like, all that seriously. It was just kind of fun. But, you know, hearing that this store was going to open, I was disgusted to think that someone else was going to be at the helm of this because I knew living there that no one understood electronic music, especially at that time, you know, on the level that I did coming from Chicago and being steeped in it as much as I was. So I got his pager number, hilarious how, you know, how archaic our communication was at that point. But I I got his pager number and he called me. And I got him on the phone, never talking to him before. And I just gave him an earful and was like, you know, I don't care who you have picked for this store, fire them. Because whoever they are, they can't, there's no way they could do what I can do for you. Like, and not only will we have like a successful store, but I will help create a culture here. You know what I mean? Like, I will help cultivate this as a bigger thing than just a record store. And I took that over in 95. And for, like, the first six months, I was the only employee. I worked seven days a week from open to close. And when I left in 2000, the store had 12 employees and was making about $25,000 a week selling vinyl, wow. which which is a relative, I mean, at that point, that was a tremendous amount of money, and yeah, that was a lot of records. It is, and it's also because <laughs> a lot of people had gone to the CD format, so you knew that you were going to people that really wanted vinyl as DJs or as, as vinyl fans of dance music, it electronic was, music. Yeah, I mean, it was intense, but I mean, it's it's hilarious because I still have that in me, like where I hear a song and like, you know, one of the guys I make music with or someone I know, like I'll email it to them and be like, you need to hear this. Like I'm still, I'm still in that record store mentality of like making sure that all the right people get to hear the music. Yeah. And kind of really that's what Twitter and social media has become for me. It's like an opportunity for me to have that same sounding board where I can say not only to just a room full of people in the store, but now I can say it to, you know, 130,000 people on Twitter, like, hey, there's this, you know, new act. They're amazing. They're monumental. And you should hear them because, you know, you're not going to hear of them. You might hear of them in six months, but I'm going to give you the tip. Yeah. And I mean, even in the last 24 hours, I just got asked to do a remix of this kid, Robert DeLong. Yeah. He's he's a kid from California. Um, and he's doing great now on Class Note. He's an unfathomable. I mean, like no one's doing that. You know what I yeah. mean? Like really, a, a mixing like acoustic elements into electronic production. And I was just asked to remix Global Concepts, which is right. his new single. And I didn't know. You know, I started digging around, and I found out he's like one of the MTV artists to watch for 2013. And like, I was like, "Oh, wait a minute! Like, this kid's yeah. got heat." You know what I mean? I was like, just wanted to kind of familiarize myself. 
And then then there was a live set of his from a thing called like In the Van or something like that. There's like some web series where he plays live and he does that song and another song. And I was just blown away. I was like, oh, my gosh. And, you know, I probably put up his video and then that performance and talked about him. And in the last 24 hours, I probably mentioned him like four or five times. Now, you know, maybe that's not that big of a deal, but a bunch of people are going to read that and they're going to go check it out and hopefully they'll buy his record. You know what I mean? Like, and it's just in me, like that's in my DNA to spread music and to make sure that artists who are, underexposed kind of get the bump, you know what I mean? And kind of get into the zeitgeist because it's hard now, you know what I mean? Like you're fighting an unwinnable war because there's so many people making music now. I mean, you know, you go back to, you know, like we were talking about the eighties, like I probably knew every single person who was in a band in Chicago at that time because it was a finite amount of people. You know what I mean? Like there was a scene, you know, there was X amount of people that were involved in it and there wasn't room for more. So it was like, you know, like, oh, like a big band's going to retire. Oh, thank God. Now there's like room for the rest of us. You know what I mean? Like it was actually very, you know, when you would go out and it'd be like, oh, you know, it's the Jesus lizard. It's Urge Urge Overkill. overkill. It's a material issue. Totally. I mean, it was like, you know, and you saw these guys everywhere. It was like, you know, you you went to Smart Bar and if you stood in a corner, you'd see every single person. Smart Bar. Course, <laughs> you no, know, I mean, all those places in it, you Chicago. Know, in in yeah. the course of a night, you'd see every single person in in every Chicago band. So it was like now it's not like that. I mean, now you have a tremendous amount of people. Everyone has equal access. I mean, you don't need to go into a recording studio and book time and pay an engineer to record your record. You can do it in your bedroom. Yeah. Like, you know, and it doesn't even matter what kind of band you are. You can digitally record a rock band if you want. You know what I mean? Like, and you negate all of this other hubbub that was, you know, stood in the way of a lot of people doing it before. So now you have like all of these people, as I said, equal access and the possibilities are endless. So now you just have a, a line of kids that just goes on for days. And I mean, now in, in my world, in the EDM world, like, I mean, you go out in Times Square right now and throw a rock and chances are you're going to hit a DJ, you know what yeah, I mean? I know, like, I or a kid who's got great. Ableton on his laptop and is yeah. like, you know, figuring out how to use it. I mean, it's. It's quite amazing, actually, because it's truly a revolution. Like, we're involved in a stitch in time where this is, to America, it's a very new music. Of course, the joke's on America. Because Because you and I both know in Europe and in England and places like that. And Come on. Yeah, it's been going on for a very, very long time. And we created it. Like, that's what everybody doesn't get. Well, the Americans always end up creating things, and we get sold back to us by England and other countries. I mean, you know, it, Chicago created house music. Detroit created techno. Yeah. And, and New York cultivated it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, in that late 80s pocket. You played and, all those singles like Apotheosis Over Tuna. Oh, come on. No. And you resource, you know, Dominator and all that other no, stuff. No, I mean, right? that was that was my, that was the beginning of the rave scene. You know what I mean? And Which you, And you play, I'm sure, Stone Roses, Fool's Gold. Oh, and no. And, and, and Spiral Carpets, commercial. Commercial Rain. Commercial Rain. What a great single. 
They were, I know we're geeking out, but I love that. They were great. That's a great. What a great song because it's got that 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 dance beat. That's almost like a, it's almost like a locomotive. Kind oh of thing yeah. Going on. No, you know, Clint, yeah. Clint Boone, who was the the organ player in yeah. Spiral Carpets. I'm friends with him on Twitter, and like you know, every once in a while, I'll just like hit him up and be like, you know. You're a genius. Like, those records were just so much a part of things. And being, again, this all goes back to Chicago, because one of the best parts of living there was that when bands used to come to America in the 80s, they did a a three-city run. It was New York, Chicago, L.A. LA. Yeah, it was. It was skipping across the country. And then they went back to England, (laughs) and they probably never came back. So, like, everyone did, like, one American tour, and I was just very lucky to live in a city. So you'd see the laws. You'd see in Spiral Carpet. You'd see, you know. House of Love, Chapter House. uh, And one of my favorites, Catherine Wheel. I was just going to say. I loved Catherine Yeah, weren't they great? I mean, you know, and they came back a few times, which was great to New York. They did, and I actually saw them with, like, Soundgarden and stuff. Remember, I mean, when they came out for Ferment and Chrome, their first two records. Both those tours were great. And even um, Happy Days. I love those records. I think they're all great. They were Swerve Drivers, (laughs) another one. You know, I used to play, and it was such a downtrodden song for the clubs. But you'd play Son of Mustang Ford, which was upbeat. And then you'd play um, Rave Down. Rave Down, yeah. Which was like really down and dirty. But you and I were playing the same records in different places. No, and the, and, <laughs> and, and living parallel lives. We I mean, were, it's, absolutely. But, but those <laughs> those bands, and you know, when it went on forever. House because, of Love, I Don't Know Why I Love You, and Destroy yeah, the Art. Ad- adorable. Adorable, Like yeah. they were in that Sunshine, Sunshine Smile. Smile. Yeah. And Homeboy was great. <laughs> See, oh, I mean, this this just goes on yeah, and on. You know, all the, you know, you know, it's no, but it was. I'm I'm so incredibly lucky because most people get a moment. They get yeah. a moment in their life where they're involved in a subculture. Yeah, and then that defines them for the rest of their life. And then all those bands come around, and they wait for those bands to reunite, and they go to Coachella or they go yeah. to like wherever to to catch. You know, to kind of like grab the tail of that comet one last time. Well, I don't think I could count the number of of moments that I've been involved in. I mean, I was in Chicago for the beginning of House. I was there for the cultivation of industrial music. I was steeped heavily into hair metal before it was anything. I mean, I, I was a kid in 1986 running around Naperville, Illinois with a KNAC t-shirt on. Wow, KNAC. Like, yeah. completely steeped in that music. You know, bought Live Like a Suicide when it came out. Yeah. Went to see Guns N' Roses when they opened for Alice Cooper. Like, when there yeah. were no one. You know what I mean? And no one yeah. knew who they were. So was in that whole moment before it happened. I was definitely into like the alternative thing before it happened. I saw I saw Jane's Addiction play to like 50 people at Metro in Chicago. Yeah. XRT budget show, I think it was $3 to get in and no one showed up for Jane's Addiction. Yeah. This is when Perry had orange dreadlocks to his ass and was wearing a girdle. Yeah. He was out of his mind, you know what yeah. I mean? Like so I got to see all of that come together. Then I lived the whole Manchester thing. So it was like that whole thing was a moment. I was in the Sub Pop Singles Club when it started and was going to see all of those bands. One of the best shows I ever saw in my life was a Sunday night at Metro. It was Bullet La Volta. This is in order. 
Bullet LaVolta opened, Nirvana, Soundgarden, and Mudhoney yeah, on like a, a Sunday film. night. And there was maybe a hundred people there. Like this is like yeah. this is like right when like the first Nirvana seven inch had come out. Like yeah. Love Buzz had like just hit. Yeah. Like and, Before Bleach and like it was just Oh yeah, no, 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 no. And this is like yeah. this is Soundgarden on SST and like Mark Arm straight out of Green River. I mean, this was like the so moment. He was doing Touch Me, I'm Sick, oh, and uh, all that stuff. You got to keep it out of my face. They're the and, best. I yeah. mean, like, no, I mean, I could go see Mud Hunting a thousand and times. And Soundgarden were doing Ultra Mega OK, you're talking about, right? So yeah, yeah. Before, we're talking about really before Loud Love. Oh, Beyond all. the Wheel. Yeah. That's that's the jam. Like, yeah. I, I, no, but like, so there was that. Then came electronic music, and I've been involved in every stitch of that ever since. So from the rave scene to the beginning of drum and bass to techno to then to electro clash and was lucky enough to experience that here in New York. And you were spinning it here, right? Oh, I was time, go- yeah. I was playing at Berliniumsburg in Williamsburg at Lux, Larry T's party. Yeah. That was like the craziest thing you've ever seen. And the, the electro clash festival, which was at exit and had, you know, thousands Fisher of people. And all those people. Fisher Spooner, out. Peaches, yeah. you know, like all those like chicks on speed, like all that stuff when it first started. And I mean, you know, again, like, you know, most people get one of these. Yeah. You're, and like, yeah. here I am, like, steeped in EDM, like, you know, playing Ultra in this tidal yeah. wave. I mean, this is like the 20th lap for me. It's like, fantastic. It's amazing. And, you, and you've done those Ultra compilation albums where you've yeah. remixed rock no. stuff and you've done a yeah. bunch oh, of other no. things. Oh, no. I mean, like, I, I, and that was another moment. You know what I mean? All that rock remix stuff was was its own kind of moment and that was coming out of Electro Clash. So it's like, I mean, this just goes on and on and on. But if you keep yourself open-minded and you're a positive person and you don't get caught up in nostalgia. Yeah. I mean, I love to reminisce. I mean, I could talk about any of this yeah, stuff. Yeah, but I'm the same way you are. I like to always listen to new music and look at new things. and Always. Yeah. I mean, it's, you love the old stuff. You don't forget about it. It's a big part of your roots. Yeah. But it's, you got to look into new stuff all the time because it's exciting. Always It keeps forward. it interesting. You know, and, and it's rare. I mean, there, there are not very many people in music who evolve, you know what I mean? Like yeah. people just, they stick their feet in the ground and they say like, I'm a punk, deal with it. And they will perish. They they will stay feet in the, in the yeah. sand and watch whatever they're doing die in front of them and they won't move. And you know what? I have respect for that. Yeah. Like, you know, like God bless them. You know what I mean? Like it's important to me to keep it moving yeah. and to experience everything at like maximum volume. Yeah. And and as long as there's new and exciting music, which there always will be, chances are I'm going to be surfing yeah. the wave. Yeah, well, there's so many great things out there and it never, you know, there's there's always a metamorphosis of new things that happen that, like you said, could yeah. have influence from things that are 20 years ago oh, yeah. or- or just, you know, so I agree with you. I think it's great. Now, you were with the guys from Swedish House Mafia last night? You went down to that show? Uh, the last few nights. Last night, it, it was, I finally got a good night's sleep. But uh, Tell I, me about I, it. I did MSG with them, and then I did Sunday and Monday at the uh, the Barclay Center. And, um, I mean, Saturday I was just wrecked because I had done three dates with Zed. I was yeah. opening for Zed. Yeah. And um, who was another, like, I mean, he's exploding, you know what yeah. I mean? Like such a talented guy. And concurrently, the last night, I actually went to see 
Swedish House Mafia at Madison Square Garden first and then went and closed the show at Webster Hall. I played 3.30 to 5 in the morning at Webster Hall. That's great. And just mopped the place up, like played super hard and just blew their brains out. What kind of stuff were you playing? When I play late night like that, I tend to play kind of heavier, progressive, like heady, druggy music. You know what I mean? Like it's, you know, you look out into the crowd and like, Everyone's eyes are going in two different directions. Like, you know, you can't really play like linear music at yeah, that point. You, play you know what I mean? Pumping that brings people. You got to just like blow their brains out. Yeah. And that's what I did. And it worked really well. And, and actually, as much as Zed said, he was like, I've never had anyone keep the crowd like to the, till the lights came on at the end of the night after I played. Cause he puts out like, He's a kid. Yeah. He's like 23 years old. He bounces around like a lunatic. You know what I mean? He's got endless energy. So to be able to come in off the tail of that and to keep the energy up, I mean, you know, you would need to be playing for 20 years to know how to do that. You know That's what I mean? Great, like yeah. it's it's not. So were you opening for Swedish House Mafia when you played? Or no, no. Out? I mean, I just was hanging out. I, I mean, was, like yeah. I, I just wanted to experience it. I mean, yeah. like, MSG, like Pete Tong, legend, like, yeah. you know, Radio 1. He opened, and so did Armand Van Helden. And Armand Van Helden was the first time. Oh, they were time both there opening? That's great. Yeah. He played, he, it was the first time he played New York in five years. Wow, So, yeah. I mean, I wanted to see him, and I wanted to see them. And the experience was mind-blowing. And after seeing it the first night, I mean, I only expected to go to MSG. And I said to Steve Angelo, I was like, can I come to the rest of the shows? And he was like, yeah. He's like, I can't believe you'd want to come back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, you see the show, you see the show. But I was like, no. I'm like, why would I skip this experience? Yeah, it's a fun experience every night. Cause so- I mean, the thing that blew everyone's mind is that I watched it from the floor. So I was like right smack in the middle of the crowd. Kids coming up to me throughout the whole show, taking pictures, like freaking out. Like, why are you here? It's like, well, I'm here for the same reason you're here. Yeah. I want to see the show. And you, you know? want to experience like everybody else does, right? Well, you know, a lot of people, you know, once they kind of get, and you know, I by, you know, I've done well for myself, but I am by no means like the top of this. You know what I mean? There are there are plenty of people who are much bigger than I, but I've stayed very true to myself and to what what I've wanted to do, and I go into the crowd and I talk to my fans, and it's you know, it, it I think it's a very important part of it. There's not very many people who do this who are willing to do that. They play and they leave. You know what I mean? Like, and there's no interaction with the crowd. They have, you know, no connection to their fans other than social media. And there's something everlasting about like going out and like putting your arm around a kid and taking a picture with him. Like, a lot of kids like that changes their life. You know what I mean? Like it just you yeah. Know, you might inspire someone else to follow in your path too. I mean, it's I, real important. And you know, when people come up to me and they say the sweetest things, it's like you know, I love the fact that you write those articles in Huffington Post and you fight for this culture and you say things that no one else will say. And then there's other kids that come up to me. I'm I'm eight years sober, so yeah. you know, th- there was a kid at at the Barclays Center who came up to me and he was like, "You are my biggest inspiration." He's like. I'm I'm just a year sober and I look to you as like, you know, an inspiration. And hearing things like that from people is amazing. Like if there's any reason for me to keep doing what I do, it's that. 
I will continue to DJ and I will continue to make music and as remix. long as there's one person in the room that actually like enjoys themselves. If you know, if if I'm done playing and no one says a word and I walk out the door, I'll know that that's like I'm done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when it has no effect on anybody yeah. anymore, that's when I'll give it up. Like uh, I'll be like, all right, cut the losses here and like figure it out. But you know, now that's not what's going on. Like, I mean, it's a tremendous outpouring of understanding and support. But I think that, you know, we're living in a very difficult stitch in time. This country's in a bit of a mess. Yes. And, you know, you, you've got kids who, who go to school and they bought into the myth that if they spend $100,000 to go to, to college, that when they're done, they're going to get a good job. And be able to pay off those loans. And these kids are like, you know, living back at their parents' house. I can't think of anything more miserable in the world than after four years of being, of being on your own, of being totally independent. You have to live back under your parents' roof where, you know, they're yelling at you because you come home too late and yeah. all this other madness. You'd go insane. Like, I, I mean, no wonder why these kids are like running to Pasha here in New York yeah. and to EDC and to places like this. Like, I mean, I would scrape together every penny I had just to get the hell out of that mind state and that predicament. And, you know, there is an awful lot of kids who are in that scenario. They really are because, you know, there's less jobs than there ever were. It's, um, for me, it, it's, uh, it's sad. It's disheartening. I mean, the whole thing, I feel for, for the young people out there. Because, you know, like you said, to have the freedom and then to have it taken away from you and to backtrack, it's got it's it's very difficult. It's a real mind fuck, I would say, in many I, ways. I think that you and I grew up in a time, and I think we would both agree on this. Like, you know, there were plenty of problems in the eighties. Yeah. The eighties were by no means like the nirvana of America. But as a kid, I don't remember having any problems like these kids have. Like, you know, if you were bullied, you got the shit kicked out of you and you sucked it up and you got your shit back together. And you know what? It was over with. And you probably ended up making you a better person because it wouldn't happen again because you wouldn't yeah. tolerate it. You yeah. know what I mean? So you toughened up a little bit, yeah. you know, and you just got on with your life. And the multitude of complex problems that face young people in this country. And a lot of it came with the technology and the, and the access. No, come yeah. on. Think for all the great things that the technology and the access brings, there's also the lack of privacy. I don't think that most kids can even have like a reasonable conversation in real time. I mean, and I know this from engaging people. I mean, you know, even some of these kids that come up to me and that want to take a picture and stuff like that, like you can tell that they're actually struggling engaging somebody because they're so used to just being in their phone or their iPad and that's their life. You know what I mean? Like their whole life experience is yeah. through that device. And, you know, even as, you know, being at Madison Square Garden, the majority of the people weren't watching Swedish House Mafia through their eyes. They were watching it through the screen of their phone because they were filming half the show. And it's like, what, what, wait, explain that to me. You're going to film it so that you can take it home and then sit in front of your computer and watch it. 
Well, why wouldn't you want to watch it first? Yeah, so you have the full dynamic range, you know, the peripheral forever. Just enjoy it. Like, just just yeah. dig no, in I know. and enjoy it. I mean, I know that. It's it's amazing. So many people <laughs> do that. Now it's changed in so many ways. But, you know, I want to thank you for coming in today, Tommy. What, what's coming up? Is there anything coming up that I should know about? I mean, I, you know, it, it's- That remix is- of Robert DeLong, I'm very excited oh, about. You know, it, it's, so how people look for that and go check you out online. It's funny, I'm I'm steeped in a lot of things right now. I mean, I, I just started a remix of Sacrilege, the new Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's single. Oh, great, perfect. So I'm dug in with that. There's like a full gospel choir in it that I'm going to have a good time tear, uh, tearing to shreds. Oh, that sounds great. I just finished a remix for Capital Cities. Yeah, I like those sound. guys. Yeah, yeah, really I like them a lot too. Yeah, and, they're they're from LA and they're doing their thing. Yep, yeah. and then there's an, an act, a dubstep act from New Zealand that Ultra just signed. Uh, they're called Mount Eden, and I just did a remix of their single uh, Sierra Leone. And it's funny, I, I get to work with my favorite kind of up and coming producers. So on a couple of those remixes, I worked with. These guys, Live City, they're yeah. two kids from here in New York that I just stumbled across and just loved what they were doing. And we now work together, and then I do a lot of stuff with these guys, the Disco Fries. By the way, which is, uh, I love the name, the yeah. Disco Fries. No, they're great. Think of mean, a Jersey diner, and there you go. Well, they're, uh, well <laughs> actually, Nick's from Jersey, so that makes perfect sense. <laughs> He's does. in Red Bank, so that's, that's, that's all. I'm from that you know, central area, too. Yep. That's funny. So it's, uh, you know, it, it, but you just get... It's just so awesome to be able to be in a circumstance where it's like, hey, like this is great. Let's work together. We like each other's music, and it just keeps propelling and pushing everything forward. And just that's what it's all about. It really is, Tommy. It was so great to have you on the Hivecast. Thanks I a knew lot, Matt. You and I would because there's so many similarities of the love of music from <laughs> every different period. Yes, and we never stop looking into new music. And I'm really excited about your new remixes as well. Thanks. But Wolf Tang, again, i got to come out and listen to you spin sometimes. Oh, listen, I'll come by here anytime. Let's do it. Absolutely. <laughs> Tommy Sunshine on the Hivecast, everyone. This has been the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. For all things music, news, interviews, live events, and more, go to mtvhive.com.